welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is episode number 400, and our guest today are two buddies, Eric and Jason, who are going to New Zealand next month in June of 2023. And today we are telling the before the hunt story with these guys to hear how the plan has come together, how they've been preparing, what this hunt is expected to look like, and so much more. So this is clearly a different episode than some of our normal U.S.-based hunts. Obviously, traveling internationally has some additional complications and logistics and things like that. So we do talk about those aspects as well as the typical gear and training and other preparations that go into any adventurous hunt. It's going to be fun to talk with these guys after their experience and hear how it went. Uh, Again, hear about the travel, what they learned, what their experience was like hunting with this outfitter, and so much more. So thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. If you have a hunt this fall that would be good to consider in terms of a before and after the hunt conversation, let us know. And as always, if you have any just questions for the show, whether that is about hunting tactics and strategies or gear or anything else, reach out, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for a link in the show description that says, leave us a message. If something comes to mind, hit pause and do that right now. Otherwise, let's dive right into this conversation with Eric and Jason. Well, Eric, Jason, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to have you guys on here. Um, Steve, you know, these guys reached out a little bit wanting to hear about your experience with New Zealand because we've mentioned that I don't know how many times on the podcast now, but it's been delayed year after year after year. And now these guys are going ahead of you. Yeah, sons of bitches. Yeah, I was was hoping to get some of your, glean some of your experience, but uh, it turns out it might be the the opposite way around. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, we've been, it just kept getting, uh, see, birth of my son and then COVID and then, um, I guess, yeah, this year they finally lifted vaccination requirements right. so it could finally go. Uh, so, yeah, next next year's the plan. We'll see. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, just to set some context for listeners, I want to kind of hear a little bit about you guys. Uh, but I want to kind of flip the script since we have you two on. And I don't know the full backstory, but I know that you guys have known each other for a long time. So I thought it'd be fun to, Eric, I'm going to have you introduce Jason and tell us a little bit about him. And then we'll flip the script. So, Eric... Tell us about Jason, who he is, where he's from, all that good stuff. For sure. So Jason and I both grew up in Redwood City, California. Uh, we were neighbors. We didn't know it. I think our first interaction happened when we were too young to barely even walk. It was probably three or four years old. We were both uh, members of a swim team together. And uh, we kind of got introduced to each other through swim team and wound up going to the same elementary school. We did uh, some high school together, and I've known Jason basically my entire life. I'm 45 years old right now, and ever since I can remember, he's been a part of it. Uh, we've had some amazing experiences together in the outdoors. Um, he is my go-to guy for all things hunting-related. He kind of pushes me out there and beyond my comfort zone and gets me exploring new areas and new territories, new animals, but he's my, he's my go-to hunting buddy. So without further ado, Jason, 
take it over. All right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, my earliest memory memories of you, Eric, are uh, in kindergarten. So uh, that's that's he has a somewhat better memory than me. But uh, yeah, we've we've known each other forever, and um, uh, I think uh, Eric and his dad were instrumental in me getting uh, into hunting. So that's uh, they've always been the hunting family, and got got me and a bunch of other guys in our class out. And uh, he's Eric's the guy that if you Hey, do you want to do this? He's in. Like, uh, you want to go dive for abalone? Sure, I've never done that, but let's let's go do that. You want to go hunt elk? Let's yeah, let's figure that out. And uh, yeah, we're just uh, still good buds and uh, hang out uh, a lot and try to get out hunting every year. That's cool. Awesome. Do, you, do you guys still live kind of in the same general area? Yeah, we're about a hundred miles apart now. Yeah, Eric, what's something you said? Jason's kind of pushed you outside of your comfort zone a little bit. What are some memories, stories, like examples of that that come to mind for you if you look back? Yeah, you always have those people that put ideas out there and everyone always seems to be gung-ho. But when it comes time to pulling the trigger and actually making something happen, I think those people are few and far between. But I got a, I got my best buddy in Jason and you know he calls me up and he has everything dialed in. He's like, hey, you want to go abalone diving? And, and I've never never gone abalone diving i do scuba dive but i've never don't know what i'm even looking for don't know what the regulations are into that and he's like man i got you i got you hooked up he's like just lines me up with everything and you know we're we're diving in shark infested water <laughs> in the in the in the red triangle area and you know, everyone's always hey, aren't you intimidated by that like it's murky water you got the seaweed the kelp you know i i get seasick pretty easily and Jason's just right right next to me. He's like, man, you're going to be fine. Let's do this. We're going to get some monsters and have, have a lot of fun. So everything from scuba diving to mushroom foraging to backpacking and on horses uh, for elk hunts to you know, the New Zealand trip that we have coming up. We were just kind of going back over some emails and going back a couple of years. He just put it out there. He's like, hey, what, what are your thoughts on New Zealand? I was like, man, if you're if you're helping to plan it, I'm in. Like, no questions asked. I don't know what we're going to be going for. I don't know anything about it, but uh, I'm in. Like, he's just he's one of those guys. Like I said, he he uh, helps helps me with all my uh, hunting equipment. Um, like Jason alluded to, my dad was a, a avid hunter, so my first big game animal I took when I was nine years old was a a pig hunt in California using my um, Remington thirty odd six and that kind of kicked it off for me. So I, I was exposed to hunting at a very early age and loved the outdoors, but I definitely let my dad kind of handle kind of booking the logistics, all that. I was just more along for the experience in the ride. And so when my dad passed away, Jason kind of took that place and stepped in and really helped uh, you know, find the guides. He knows all the great questions to ask uh, really kind of hones in on all the details and gets those dates on the calendar so that that we have our points for hunting in the United States and makes those trips happen for for out of the country so it's it's great so cool Jason what uh how did New Zealand land on the radar um I mean it's, <sighs> it's obviously a hunters who are aware of it are fascinated by it and i understand the, like the desire and the intrigue to go but for you how did that start 
I think it started uh, with fly fishing. It had been on my radar for, you know, as a fly fishing destination and a place I'd always wanted to go. Uh, we had talked about it for our 40th birthdays to possibly get out there. And then that, that didn't happen. And um, uh, Eric and I took a long range shooting course and there was a newsletter that came out from, from that outfit and it, it, and it advertised, uh, you know, they had gone there and they'd shown a few of the animals that they had taken and, and saw red stag. And I was like, Oh wow, that is an impressive animal. So that was the first thing that kind of drew me into that. And then learning more about New Zealand and, and seeing some of the country and, and where the tar live. I think that's kind of where this, you know, that's I focused in on the tar after that and um, displaying a, a giant red stag is in, in the cards in, a, in my current home. And I think Eric's is a little, little full of trophies as well. So <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we've, we honed in on the tar and left it there. You said where the tar are. So like was the the yeah. place, the the terrain they inhabit as much as the fascination is the species itself? Yeah, I've got a just a mild obsession with the the, the mountain goat in North America and um haven't had a chance to chase those yet, but these look like they lived in a, a similar terrain and and kind of look a little bit similar to me. So that's kind of what uh kind of sucked me in there. What was the course you guys took, if you don't mind sharing? The shooting course. Yeah, that was with uh, Holland, Daryl Holland. It's in uh, Powers, Oregon. Um, it was uh, his long-range shooting course. Yeah. What did you? What are some takeaways from that? Either of you, feel free to share. But uh, yeah, how valuable was that for you guys? Well, we had, we had done it in anticipation of a, an elk hunt in Wyoming. We were going on and had some significant money invested in, and we wanted to be prepared for a long-range shot. And I think. God, Eric, you have to remind me what yours was, but mine was like 80 yards. Yeah, I think my uh, my elk was taken at sub 75. I think it was like 60, 65 <laughs> yards. So yeah. Yeah. here we yeah. are dialed in for like four to 600 yards and wind up taking it at uh, almost throwing distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it certainly uh, didn't, didn't need the the skills that we gleaned there, but we did learn, you know, about shooting in the wind and, and, and dialing rifles. We hadn't really done anything like that before. So all that was new. Um, it's actually the rifles that were, I'm, I'm going to be shooting is, uh, one of the Daryl Holland rifles he built that I, actually I have one of those as well. And Eric being left-handed is going to be shooting a Blazer R8. Got it. So when you say we'll be shooting, you're talking for the New Zealand trip? Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. We're going to be running rifles since uh, we're actually going. Eric can talk more about what we're doing for the first week. I don't really know, but um, the second week we're going to be hunting. Okay, got it. All right, we'll unleash the info, Eric. What the heck are you guys <laughs> doing for the first week? So uh, since Jason and I have started hunting, you know, we've both be, been married. Uh, I have two kids. He has one one son. And just doing extended hunting trips for weeks on end is uh, definitely taxing and uh, takes a toll on the family. So on this trip, we are bringing the family with us. Um, so I bring my two kids and my wife and Jason's bringing his family. And we are going to go out a week ahead of time and spend some sightseeing time up in the Northern Islands. And then we're flying into Auckland and driving all around. We have a, we have an Airbnb that we're staying at, and we're going to use that kind of as our base camp to do all the all the excursions up there. But it's going to be less hunting related, more just kind of sightseeing. 
And then the second half of the trip, we're flying to the Southern Island uh, with the families. And Jason and I are going to be spending about a week down there uh, actually hunting for the different animals. And this organization that we're going with seems seems fantastic. Not only can you go after your trophy animals, but uh, at least for me, a big part of the hunting experience is is filling the freezer with different types of meats. I, I love cooking and having a different selection of protein to share with my family and friends is definitely a high priority. So this place in New Zealand offers a, a bunch of kind of add-on hunts you can do <clears throat> for fairly reasonable reasonable costs. And you can come back with maybe two, three, four animals of uh, all different sorts. So th- that's something we're really looking forward to. And they seem to be really dialed into the non-hunters as well in our group, uh, kind of taking them on sightseeing tours and exploring the, the countryside with them as well. So it should be a overall fantastic trip. That's awesome. My Amazing. wife and I had the same kind of schedule set up where she was going to, where I was going to go for two weeks. She was going to come for the first week and then fly back. And we had had the whole trip planned on the South Island. Uh, but yeah, it looked like it was going to be one heck of a time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be our new kind of MO, at least for, for our family, for, especially for the international trips, <laughs> my wife's like, I'm not getting left behind while you go out and explore these, <laughs> these places. So yeah, we, uh, we try to include them as much as we can. Nice. That's great. So you, I just to dive into some logistics, cause obviously I want, I want to hear the story and this isn't happening yet. We're going to record the follow-up story after the trip, of course, but obviously we want to share some information that can help people who may be interested in hunting New Zealand in the future. So one thing you guys already mentioned was renting rifles. Uh, and for folks who are unaware, it can be difficult to travel with and then import your own rifle into New Zealand. So um, talk a little bit about that, why you chose to rent. And is I'm assuming that's probably something that the people you booked the hunt with are offering for you of like, hey, just show up. We have rifles taken care of. We'll you know, have time to shoot before you hunt, that type of thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll let Jason go into the kind of the specifications on the details uh, on the calibers and all that. But I, I've traveled to a couple different countries uh, out of out of our area. I've gone down to Argentina. I've gone to South Africa. I've gone to Bolivia and Mexico. And I've done a combination. So when we went to South Africa, we took our own rifles. And it's, it's just a, an additional process. Um, that's fairly time consuming and logistically wise. It just adds another layer, layer of complexity and stress. Uh, in some countries, though, you, you should be bringing your own because the rifles that they have or shotguns that they have just aren't adequate. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we chose to bring our, our equipment with us to South Africa. Um, going to Argentina, I go down there um, a couple times so far to go dove hunting. And we've taken our own shotguns down there with us, and we wound up almost burning through them because you're you're shooting so many rounds. So in, in the more recent years, I've gone down and just rented them, so you don't have to worry about transporting your own firearms. It's much easier just to pay fifty dollars, seventy five dollars a day for rental fees, and not have any of the cleaning issues, the international transportation issues, the TSA issues, um, any of the government documents that that are needed for going internationally with your firearms and then for for new zealand specifically uh once jason kind of found out that they basically have the same guns made by daryl holland that he owns he was pretty jazzed on that and uh, 
Jason, what's the cost? It's like 75 bucks, 100 bucks a day to rent, and that includes the ammo? It's $150 for the week, including oh, ammo. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was a no brainer. We had briefly entertained doing a DIY uh, hunt there, and I'd read an article about it in the Backcountry Hunter magazine and it seemed doable but um eric was a little apprehensive and uh, you know I, I would try it but um it, it just you know the the guide you know dialed in and 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 they rental the guns and not having to deal with the customs portion of it it, it made a lot more sense and uh yeah the, having a, a rifle that's you know very similar to mine you know i talked to the uh, the builder yesterday and he was he was saying that yeah they're they're almost identical to what i have um it, uh, the caliber being different, there are six five Creed more. The Blazer that's the left-handed one is a, a three oh eight. Okay. Yeah, and they're shooting a ELDX bullets, which I I've never used, but um, I understand they're quite good. Yeah, there's a. It's interesting if I know this mainly just from obviously we have some customers in New Zealand I've spoken to and things like that, but also they've turned me on to some videos and different channels from New Zealand of uh, guys on YouTube, and there's a big shooting culture in New yes. Zealand and they love their rifles and because of the hunting opportunity they have they get to shoot a ton so when it comes to like not only rifles and general shooting but things like uh, terminal ballistics bullet performance etc there's a there's a huge uh, interest and level of experience in New Zealand that I think people would definitely be fooling themselves if they're underestimating how serious those guys are about that stuff. Yeah. And also the suppressors are just, you know, ubiquitous, you know, that's something we can't have in California. So that's something that's, it's pretty uh, exciting for us to try out. And Hmm. um, there's no seasons or licenses there. So it's all uh, non-native animals, kind of like Hawaii in that regard. So it's a, you know, it's going to be a pretty, pretty game rich environment, I believe. No suppressor is going to ruin you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. leave California just to have a suppressor. I know. It. <laughs> it's the final straw, the suppressor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want one really bad. Um, well, I mean, you could never mind. We'll get we'll get it. I don't want to like throw out legal advice on the internet. Um, we can chat later. Sure. <laughs> and by the way, yes, it is illegal. I'm not saying break the law. Um so jumping back, Eric. You mentioned several species uh, before that, Jason. You mentioned tar, so that's like the called the primary target. But to dive into what other opportunities do exist, can you kind of elaborate on the other hunting opportunities you guys will have? Yeah, they uh, they have like a whole list of uh, different animals. As Jason originally mentioned, the red stag is probably <clears throat> red stag and elk are both kind of their primary species that that seem to really draw people there just for the massive size of these these animals um but being being kind of a trophy quality species uh they they also command massive pricing and the animals themselves are so large that both jason and i kind of are maxed out in our housing capabilities of where to store these animals so we're actually looking for things that a little bit on the smaller side in the the bull tar just represents that perfectly it's a it's a beautiful looking animal um this is the time of year that we're going early june or so is going to be um prime prime time for their coat condition and um 
getting some mounts made, but they also have like fallow deer. They have hill stag, which is like a smaller version of the of the red stag, maybe not like a trophy quality. And then they have um, some wild, I believe it's wild pig on 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 the areas that we're hunting, and uh, and and goats. I think it's another one they said. And uh, I spoke with the outfitter uh, just a few days ago, and he was saying that. Uh, a lot of those animals need to be managed because they haven't had as much uh, hunting pressure through the COVID time and, and we'd be doing them a favor. So I, I told him I'd do as many favors as I could for him. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind sharing, uh, who is the outfitter that you're going with? Glenn Dean. Glenn Dean. Okay. Is the, and is that's the individual? Does he have a company name or it's just all? That is the company name. Uh, okay. Richard Burden is the proprietor. Okay. Got it. Glenn Dean. Okay, cool. How far in advance did you book this, Jason? In particular, I know we talked, you know, been on the radar, but in terms of booking with Glendine, how far long ago was this? I think it was the end of last year, Eric. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I want to say we engaged with them probably September, October of maybe a little bit earlier, but around September, October of 2022. And then we had everything confirmed and booked by end of uh, 2022. Okay. So at that point in time, this date was set and they were pretty confident with COVID and restrictions that had existed or been in place that this trip was going to be able to go. Yes. Got it. Cool. What has been between then and now, what have been some of the decisions you guys have been making or things you've been thinking through, whether that's gear, other logistics, like yeah, basically from, hey, we just booked this, super serious, it's happening, to now, what are some of the things you guys have been working through? I, I think everything you mentioned, uh, one, the species of animals that we're going to be taking. So we we put down kind of our, our base, our, our primary focus being the bull tar, but the outfitters, like, you know, if you guys want to add on other animals once you're here, that's not a problem. So I've just been kind of looking at what's available, what, uh, what are some interesting animals to to eat what are some interesting animals to get mounted um so kind of the species that we want to take and and like like you mentioned or like i was talking to you earlier mark uh the equipment my uh previous pack failed so i was looking for a new uh a new day pack that can also be used on longer excursions so i've been working with jason on recommendations for that and just purchased one of your pack systems um uh gators which is not something JSI typically hunt with, but uh, they're recommending gators to be used over our boot system. So dialing it on, on, on those and yeah, just the logistics of <clears throat> for me, especially is how we get the meat back into the United States, how we process it over there, how we, uh, how we transport it back to the United States and make sure it stays frozen. Um, taxidermy questions, and what the rest of the family that's not hunting is going to be doing with us is uh, kind of our, our primary primary focus right now. Yeah. What have you learned about meat? So, you know, for people who are aware, we've talked on the podcast about flying with meat and things like that from the context of like Alaska within the lower 48. But internationally, um, there's, you know, totally different rule set. I believe USDA has to get involved on our end and potentially go through like some inspections or certain facilities has been my understanding, at least from other international contexts that I've been aware of. But yep. what have you learned about that meat process specifically, Eric? Uh, 
<clears throat> so the the primary ones is uh, it really all has to be processed uh, over there and packaged. Uh, no bone matter, no brain matter, spinal fluid. None of that stuff can be transported back into the States. Just uh, clean meats um, that's been processed over there and packaged appropriately. Um, that's about as far as we've gotten so far. Uh, talking with the outfitter, they, they seem to be dialed into the the transportation, like the cooler systems and, and the packaging of it in order to get it transported back over. Uh, but that's about as far as we've got so far. Got it. Do you know, are you planning on flying that back with you on your flight or is that going to be sent via air separately? No, I think we're going to try to uh, take it with us, pay a little extra on, on our baggage fee and uh, ship it back with us. How about for you, Jason, anything that uh, you want to elaborate on from what Eric mentioned just about, again, not just meat, but the whole yeah. then and now or anything additional? Yeah. Uh, I mean, working on a few gear items, um, a more solid uh, rain jacket in California. We don't, I mean, we don't often even carry rain gear and, you know, just having a, you know, winter time hunt in a place that gets a lot more precipitation than, than we're used to uh, focused in on some uh, new rain gear and um, cleaning boots, I think is a huge thing. I think they inspect your boots when you go through customs there. So that's something that we have to really uh, take care of. Um, also physically, um, getting in, you know, extreme mountain shape, uh, the, the guides are, you know, pretty lackadaisical when it, when it ta- you talk to them about how rigorous a hunt this is, will be, but then I, I talked to Daryl Holland, who's been several times and he says it's a seven or eight out of the, you know, most extreme stuff that he's seen and, um, definitely put in the cardio and, you know, take care of your boots and, and watch out, watch out for shale and tussock. That those are pretty slippery and could could end your day. So focusing on those things. Yeah, very cool. It's funny how like the, just the context, like guides are like very lact laxadaisical about it, but to them it's like what they know, it's what they're used to, versus, you know, you come into that from a completely different environment. It could yeah, it could be incredibly physical intense. True. I'm I'm wondering if it's part of just the Kiwi culture too. They're just very laid back, and you know they're they're mm-hmm. absolute savages on the mountain. You see some of the stuff they do, and you're just like, oh my gosh. And then they're yeah, you know, they're very very calm about it all too. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of a few guys we know that yeah, they're it's spot on your description right there. Just like oh yeah, no big deal. Just threw an entire tar on my back and walked off the mountain. You know, like what? <laughs> yeah. and they just they just blow it off like it was nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to get over there and and meet some of those guys at some point. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys know what uh, called the hunting arrangement is going to be? Do you guys plan on staying together, hunting together with one guide, with each a guide, going separately, each with your own guide? Do you know what the, that's going to look like? I'm fairly certain it's a two to one. So we'd, we'd hunt together. That's generally what we do. Okay. Um, yeah, if we get the opportunity, that's what we want to do. So you you mentioned originally, as I said, Jason, that uh, you had some questions for Steve about his preparation and experience, which you know, I was like, well, unfortunately, that didn't happen. <laughs> but that said, what are some of the questions that you had? Is it all things you found the answers to or um, thinking you know, back was... to the original time you reached out? Like, what were some of those questions? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, I don't know. I was just wanted to generally see how he would prepare and what what he was expecting because um 
you know, I, I've got the the gear list from the the guide and, you know, I've gone through it and you know, I think I'm, I'm probably mostly okay. I might need, you know, a few, few items, but just wanted to see how he would prepare and what, what he was expecting and what, what the hunt would be, what he was expecting it to be like. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. When are you, what time of year are you guys going? We go in the first part of June. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, so I think you're full on winter yeah down there at that point right yeah yep. um because i was gonna go late may and we've got a friend of ours from australia that goes every year so i was gonna go with him uh and they were you know prepping me for essentially how cold it's gonna be right like you're talking very very cold um and then just from what scared me a little bit was just you know you just don't know what somebody else's um perspective is like difficult to one guy is easy to another right and so they were talking about like yeah it's pretty pretty steep like you know you're essentially you don't quite need ropes but we're climbing straight up this mountain and i'll tell you where to put your foot and what to grab onto and and so i was just like you know trying to relate to is this something that i've experienced in idaho or is this a whole nother level of you know country that i've not been into i was a little nervous about that and then uh, yeah, I think as far as training, I was just, you know, treating it like I would any other, you know, like if I got a sheep tag or something like that. So just l- lots of hiking, um, you know, obviously you guys have done quite a bit of hunting, but, you know, making sure you got the right boot for that type of country where, uh, you're going to be, you know, just on, on lots of rocks and steep angles and things like that. I remember at the time I didn't have, I still don't have a great boot option for for that kind of wet environment. I know that they're talking about it can be a whole different level of, of wet that you're just, you just got to get used to being soaking wet all the time. It's you know probably one of the reasons the guys absolutely are recommending gators, you know, having really high quality rain gear. And, um, but yeah, as far as training goes, it would just be like, you, you kind of said they're extreme mountain shape. That's certainly, I was going to err on the side of being, you know overly ready to go just because i don't know what i was going getting into that's a little terrifying when somebody this then what you've done is saying that (laughs) (laughs) i I mean but you know i I just don't know i could have got there and it had been like you know oh yeah i've I've, i haven't been here but i've been in this scenario i've been on mountains just like these in idaho or alaska or whatever so it just uh but he said i was definitely going to err on just making sure that i was ready for it because i didn't want to show up and and be the straggler right Jason, what was the quote that the the outfitter gave you as far as um, it's not that difficult? Like, I wouldn't expect you to go to the gym or anything. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, and then he's like, just walk around with some weight. That's kind of, I think that is kind of like the takeaway. And he's like, that just doesn't seem right. I'm looking at these <laughs> pictures of this country and looking at maps and, you know, videos of guys going up, you know, sheer cliff. And I'm just like, that's not. That doesn't follow. <laughs> yeah, and maybe the area he hunts is is a little bit more tame. I don't know. But you said that Holland guy is is yeah, hunted with this guy and yeah. has been in the country. Yeah, yeah, and he's been all yeah. over the world. And he says it's a seven or eight out of ten of everything he's seen. So, right. yeah, okay. Hmm. I wonder if there's any. I don't want to say migratory effect, but since you are guy, since you guys are going essentially in the dead of winter, um, I wonder if animals are lower. Like it's not as physical or not as much climbing as it would be perhaps a different time of year i don't know yeah maybe because of the the rut situation it might be a, a little mm-hmm. bit different mm-hmm. i could i could see that perhaps but 
Yeah, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what to, to expect exactly, but better to be overprepared than underprepared. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What are the logistics? You guys are coming back to a base camp or whether that's like a cabin or a home or a true kind of like base tent camp every day. Are you guys planning on spiking out or backpacking at all? Yeah, we're staying at what are they pods, Eric? Is that what the. Yeah, they're like uh, kind of luxury eco pods where they're kind of built into the hillside and uh, amazing views of the valley, like definitely kind of geared towards more couple and family family stays than rugged outdoorsman type of things. But um, it sounded like the Kevin, everything was on the table. Like if we're pursuing animals and we needed to do a little uh, camp out in, in the middle of the wilderness, um, in the pursuit, like that was definitely a possibility as well. But I think the the intent is for us to come back to the to the main lodge each night and then uh, use that as our base camp and head out each day. Yeah. So as you said before, your family's still going to be there. So there sounds like there's you know going to be able to come back after the day of hunting potentially and see them and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, bouncing around, this feels like a like a left curve, but Jason, I was going back through one of your original emails and um, you had said you wanted to talk with Steve about his sheep hunting and his packing specifically on food. Yeah. And uh, how the heck he did that essentially. <laughs> what was your question? Yeah. I've been backpacking for, you know, I don't know, going on 20 years, I guess. And uh, I, my food still is a, a little bit of a struggle and it never looks that small for a day. And he's still, he's taking on, on 10 days. Look, looks like what I take for five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that. so you're talking about that 10 day sheep hunting video I did last year. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that was so, I want to say 30, probably r- around 32 to 3,300 calories per day in each mm-hmm. one of those bags. And not, I don't actually like air. It's not like I'm packing just olive oil. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that gummy bears and things like that, that are only a hundred calories an ounce. So I I think it just take, um, you know, the little bit of preparation to just, instead of just dumping everything in the Ziploc bag, I just kind of, you know, it it takes me 30 minutes one evening. I just like watching a football game or something and just put all the food out on the living room floor. And I build one bag and then just replicate it nine more times for, you know, a 10 day hunt. And yes, I mean, they're all, it's not like I'm skimping on calories. I, you know, I don't know if you're packing, maybe you're packing 5,000 calories a day or something. No, I think I that's know. pretty, pretty similar to what I'm taking. It's just that it, the bulk seems like a lot more, maybe you're unpacking some of those bags and, and getting them smaller. Um, you- the only thing I unpack is the meals themselves. So, uh, you know, I think on that hunt, I had a bunch of peak refuel mo- meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, certainly getting them out of their bags that they are, they're kind of, they're not vacuum i mean they're sealed up right and the the air in there just expands as, as the pressure changes and i'll just dump those out into simple gal or a uh, quart size ziploc bags and then you can roll them up nice and tight and throw them in each bag and that does that saves a lot of space right oh, there yeah that's got to be it yeah but but the rest of the stuff like it's just you know almond butter bars and snicker bars and top ramen you know hot cocoa apple cider packets gummy bears yeah, there's not much fancy in there. I mean, Mark does a lot more kind of food prep at home cooking than I do. I just tend to go for stuff that's off the shelf. 
yeah, I think packaging alone, especially on those, as you said, the entree type meals can save you a ton and just getting that smaller with not only wasted space, but just the packaging that they use. I mean, it's, it's quote unquote, nice packaging. It's, it's burly, right? Um, but it is just bulky for sure. I, w- I remember, I think I saved, it wasn't quite what, going from the packaging. I mean, it sounds silly, but it, it adds up. It's going from the peak packaging to Ziploc bags. It's like not quite an ounce per. So on a 10 day hunt, it was, I want to say it was like eight ounces that I took out of the pack just on that, that simple change right there. And wow. that's just also it's a lot of space and some weight, you know, you just, guys just write off stuff of thinking, ah, oh, it's just packaging. How much can that weigh? Well, when you add up 10 of them, it, it, you know, it adds up. Sure. Is it pouring into those quart Ziplocs? Is that a, a pain at all or? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, you just want to make sure you use the freezer version. You know, they're just a thicker mill, uh, higher right. quality um, versus yeah, just the quote unquote then, storage quart bags. Yeah. The ones that I think they say, they say microwavable on them, Mark. I believe they do. I or think boil. The, yeah. I think the they're Ziploc boil brand safe. ones do advertise that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they, they just make sure you buy one that say boil safe, like where you could have frozen peas and drop those in boiling water. And then that way you're not uh, digesting a bunch of plastic chemicals or something um but yeah, yeah no that uh, uh it works great yeah it's impressive any other questions you guys had like it doesn't like whether it's about this trip or anything else you know the throw out gear wise or anything of the sort i i have a question on uh boot recommendations um mm-hmm. cold weather and waterproof boots um jason <laughs> and i both have the the same kind of boot that we wear in california that's it's great, super, super lightweight, very comfortable. It is somewhat waterproof, but um, I'm definitely looking for a new boot because we have a trip planned to Alaska as well in a couple of years and uh, looking for recommendations on that. What are you guys wearing now? It's a Loa Renegade GTX. Okay. Yeah. That's a good quality boot. Yeah. They're just comfortable right out of the box. So that's always yeah. been really nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're, um, yeah, I'd say that they're just a good quality boot. For sure. Yeah, but man, boots are tricky. They're like, <laughs> I've certainly learned that everybody is different. Uh, we've, you know, on our some of our bigger death hikes that we do, yeah, there's guys that like they just, you know, they can wear a eight inch leather boot and their foot prefers that versus me. I'm just running like a non Gore-Tex trail running shoe, right? And my foot prefers that. I used to think everyone was crazy for wearing boots, but I, I we're just we're all different. So certainly my advice is always don't, I don't think you should have uncomfortable feet, right? Like there's, and there's a difference between discomfort and actual like blisters and pain. Right. But I don't think you should ever settle. I think there's a boot out there for you. If you're willing to keep buying and trying and returning that you can find one that works for you. And then from there, I've just come to the conclusion, like you can recommend brands that seem to be consistent, right? That um, like, I'd say, like crispies, I for the the vast majority of their boots kill my feet. They're uncomfortable, but I, but they make a good quality boot that that I from you know talking with hundreds of other guys that do wear them seem to be consistent in their waterproofness um, and kind of durability and how they hold up. But they just don't work for my feet. But it doesn't mean they're a bad boot. It just they don't work for me. So you could have a completely opposite experience. What about um, insoles? Man, insoles and socks are you can completely change i just bought some the topo athletic trail running shoes where 
doing uh, for our death hike this year. I was trying to find a, um, we're going to do like a 55 miles nonstop. Um, basically do it, try to do it in like a 36 hours without sleeping. And uh, I wanted something with a lot of cushion in it, right? Like that, the, for the last 20 miles, we we're just getting on trail and, you know, hiking out probably through the middle of the night. And I wanted something with a lot of cushion. So I bought these top of athletic shoes and I went on a hike the first day and I just, there was just too much volume inside the shoe. You just kind of I pay attention to what, what's going on inside the shoe, right? Like is your foot sliding left and right? Is your heel lifting up? And then from there, I was able to go like, okay, I grabbed, um, there was too much movement of my foot inside the shoe. The next day I put on a little bit thicker sock. I was like, okay, that feels better, but it's not quite perfect. And then the next day I threw on, um, I threw, uh, Mark, what's his insoles we're running right now? Um, super feet, super feet, adapt hike max. Yeah. Yeah. So I threw that insole in, which the insole itself is just, takes up a lot more volume inside the shoe than the stock one. And so that insole with like a thinner sock and all of a sudden it was like the perfect combination. So I was able to like tailor the fit of that shoe to my foot by adjusting my socks and the insoles. So that's something certainly to pay attention to if you're getting, you know, if you like a pair of boots and you're getting a little bit of heel lift, try running a little bit thicker sock just to kind of eat up that volume. And, and same, sometimes putting a, a different insole on there can have a, a worse effect, right? Like that happens to me on a lot of boots. If I put a, an insole that's a little bit thicker, it kind of lifts my heel out of the heel pocket that's designed into the boot. And I get even worse kind of rubbing on the back of the heel. Um, but yeah, it's like for me, if I find something that's like, okay, this has a lot of promise. I, li- I like it. It seems to fit well. Then you can really tailor that f- feel based uh, by adjusting your sock and by adjusting the insole. Um, and then ideally you want like a good, like those are super feet Adaptec Max. So it's for me, it's been one insole that I could just put in a lot of different shoes and it seems to work. There's um, other ones I've ran in the past though. They felt great in this shoe, but then there were complete garbage in another shoe. And it just like I said, it had to do with my foot construction and the boot construction my foot size and shape in the boot construction. Uh, but yeah, it's um, again, I think you, if I just keep going back to that, you shouldn't have uncomfortable feet. You, you know, there's some guys who are more prone to blisters and hot spots and things like that. But I think it's completely manageable to where your, your feet should never ruin a hunt. And I think that's for a lot of guys, that is the case, right? They, that, after day three, four, five, they start getting blisters and need to take a day off because their feet are just killing them. And to me, I'm just like, man, if you if you just paid a little bit more attention and your training hikes and things like that, you can certainly figure it out. And if you don't have access to get, you, you really need to test a boot shoe. You need to get off trail with with a 50 pound pack. And like I have a route I do here in Boise that uh, Mark, I've I've taken you on that hike. I just call it the sheep hike because when I had my Frank church sheep tag is one that I just kind of, I made the route up and um, it just tears your feet up because it's it all hard. Path. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Like there's, I didn't tell me what that... we were doing when he took me there. He's like, Oh, we're going to go for a hike. <laughs> it sucks. Um, but uh, it just tears your feet up and it, but it's going to tell I mean, I want to figure out on a training hike if something's going to work for me versus, you know, uh, cause I, every single shoe that I did, on that, if I just stayed on the trail, I was like, yeah, it feels fine. And then you get off trail and about an hour into it, you, they, the, you know, you start seeing the differences. So, um, 
going back to waterproofness and cold, don't get caught up in thinking you need thinsulate. That's probably the the worst thing for your feet, right? Because uh, unless you're being just completely static, if you're sitting in a tree stand, then you want like insulation in your boots, but you really use your socks as the insulation, in my opinion. Um, so if you're hunting, you know, cold climate, like I would uh, say, I don't know what your hunt was, but a scenario would be you, you, you know, you guys climb 3000 feet and your feet get really hot and sweaty. And then you're going to sit up there and glass for, you know, the rest of the day, I'd have a dry pair of socks in the pack and swap out your socks and then your feet are being nice and toasty and warm versus if you have like thin slit insulation um that there's just gonna be so much moisture in the boot that that's gonna have a tougher time escaping and and again your feet are gonna sweat even more because you you have all this insulation around your foot that um that's a in my opinion a bad thing okay and on this hunt in particular with it not being a backpack hunt and you guys coming back to these huts or lodges or whatever you know, you have, it sounds like probably the opportunity to change boots each day. So in terms of like cold and you mentioned keeping dry, if it's not too logistically complicated to travel with it, I would consider strongly going into this hunt with two pairs of boots um, just to be able to swap them potentially. Obviously, we've talked about potential New Zealand's going to be super soaked. Maybe you guys do completely wet out a pair of boots one day. That's obviously a downside to the boots that tend to be water quote unquote waterproof or have some water resistance is that when they do get wet they also don't dry well and so even overnight they might not dry so having a dry pair of boots to go into the next day could be good and or i would be asking these guys if they might have boot dryers because that's one thing um like you guys mentioned alaska and i think you're going to kodiak but the kodiak hunts we've done is basically the only lodge-based hunt we've done but going back to that lodge at night and having just a simple boot dryer um, again, Kodiak can be pretty cold and wet is huge to be able to truly dry those boots overnight and have something fresh the next day. So that's something I would investigate for this hunt as well. Nice. Yeah. We are staying with, uh, is it Foxtail? Oh, you're going to Foxtail? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> you guys will have fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, a, uh, Hanvog was, a, a when uh, going back, I was just thinking through the notes is a, a brand i would highly recommend mark's been running them for quite a few years yeah. um they're they they make some good quality boots they're going to be uh hold up for you and be waterproof and those uh, i've been very impressed with their they're alverstone what'd you run the alverstone twos on your goat hunt last year right yeah i use those for yeah everything last year but yeah the goat hunt and lois fit my feet well and hanwags i don't want to say are identical but both brands just in general if i were to pick multiple models within two brands um those brands just in general again seem to fit my feet pretty well hanvog does have if you look at the boot details they have different lasts um so the last is kind of the the overall shape of the boot that can fit different types of feet so that is something to look at when you are looking at a model from hanvog is like what last is this built on because some are more narrow some are wider etc um, but yeah, the Alverstones and then now I'm drawing a blank, Steve. Uh, what are the other ones I wear? Macra Trek. The Macra Trek. So, um, yeah, the Alverstones personally, if I were like, you said I had to go to New Zealand tomorrow, I would wear those boots without a doubt for sure. Jason, are you running custom insoles in yours? I am. I have a sheep feet. Mm. Oh, cool. 
I have a really high uh, arch, and that I think that that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's boots, man. Obviously, we've talked about it so much, but it really is one of those things that can just make or break a hunt. Oh yeah. yeah the the lows are really light and and super comfortable, and then when I put the uh, the insole in, it's like I almost forget I'm wearing boots. Sometimes it's so comfortable. So I think I think I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. I... If you got a lodge base on, I don't know if I would, and you're happy with those renegades. I don't know if I'd mess with it. I just Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, you just bring some extra socks for the day and you might have some wet feet if they leak a little bit, but, um, yeah, you get the chance to dry them out. I'd, yeah, I'd take comfortable wet feet over blisters and dry feet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. We were on, on my mountain goat hunt this past fall. Uh, the first few days we were out, Tyler that was with us was wearing, some you know all leather kind of like stiff mountain boots and it it was so steep just vertical and everything was off trail and tough and they were you know they were supportive boots for him but they were just beating his feet up they just weren't comfortable and uh we bombed off the mountain after the first few days and had to go back and kind of regroup before we went back out and he grabbed his good old uh Salomon quests you know a real soft boot something much more like the renegade and I was like, forget it, man. I'm just wearing these. They're so much more comfortable. And it was wet up there as well. And he, I had packed some uh, waterproof socks, I think seal skins. Um, and I had never used them, but I had them with me. And I was like, if you want to try these, try these. And he ended up loving that. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. you should do it, but that is one option too, is like a non-waterproof boot. And if your feet just don't tolerate the moisture either from a comfort perspective you know because your skin gets so wet and soft or it's so cold and wet that you know just the the dampness really gets to your feet because they're so cold that would maybe be an option i would have as well especially if you went with something like the renegade is take something like seal skins or a waterproof sock on that trip and consider that maybe you go with a non-waterproof non-quote-unquote warm boot but that waterproof sock is going to obviously keep you dry, but also I think add some, some warmth as well. So that could be something to consider. Is that like a neoprene based uh, sock? It, they do sell those, right? So like they have neoprene booties, um, like even for rafting. And then they do have thinner neoprene socks that aren't meant to be booties. The seal skins, I don't, if they have neoprene it's, it's, in them, it's like a yeah. super thin layer that's embedded, but it is like a more of a it's traditional more, fabric weave. Okay. Yeah. Gore-Tex style. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some sort of like super thin membrane. I don't know if it's neoprene or, or yeah, like a Gore-Tex, but kind of within more of a sock-like material. Man, you got I'm jealous. You guys are going to New Zealand and getting to go to Kodiak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a nice couple of years coming up here. That's nice. awesome. When are you going cool. to Foxtail next year? Or this 2025, year? November. Okay. Gotcha. I think it's the the week before you guys usually go. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So yeah, it'd be the yeah, early late October, early November. It's yeah, it's yeah. the first yeah. first week in November, I think, right after okay. Halloween. Sweet. Be perfect. What are you guys doing for this New Zealand trip in terms of optics? Or is that something that the kind of the guide or outfitter provides? Uh, you mean like spotting scope? Yeah, spotting scope, binoculars. Yeah, anything glassing wise. Eric, you bring in your spotting scope? I, it's fairly bulky. 
I don't think I'm going to bring that. Um, oh, come on. I, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with my, uh, with my binoculars. I'm using the, what are they, Jay? The, the EL Zeiss? range 10 to 42. Yeah. Well, those aren't terrible. No. no. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. After taking a peek through those, I ended up getting the NL Pure. So pretty happy with those so far. Yeah. yeah. Between the two of you, you <laughs> pretty much have best. like the two yeah. nicest binos on the market. So you're set. <laughs> Yeah, so I think he should bring his spotting scope, though. I mean, we're not we're not backpacking in, so that might be nice to have. I think Jason, you could come up with a lot of things that Eric should carry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of a beast. He'll he'll take anything. I always <laughs> like that approach. Like, yeah, we really should. You probably should grab that. Yeah, <laughs> you probably should carry that for me. I mean, you probably should bring that. Yeah, you'll need that. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, man, this is this is exciting. I can't wait to hear about it. Before we do wrap up, any any other questions, thoughts, things uh, to dive into? Maybe shot placement. Have you mm-hmm. looked at that at all, Steve? No, I have not. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I've t- taken a you know a few Google's swipes at it, and that's something Daryl mentioned to me to definitely get the anatomy uh, straight in your head because they're they're different animals. They're constructed different than what we're used to, and. Hmm. Um, don't have a clear picture of that yet. I've got some books, but they don't they don't have tar in there. Got it. Is that more of a when you say different? I haven't looked at tar too much specifically, but more forward. I feel like yeah, I could I th- be I wrong, but I think guys are doing a lot of more forward shoulder shots. Yeah, I think that's generally what people are doing. Um, it's yeah, it's a different. Uh, the main I think kind of throws off a little bit of the you know what what you would think where they would be. Mm-hmm. So they might be a little bit uh, higher than two. That's something we need, we need to pin down. <laughs> yeah, with being down there in June and just the winter coats, like those should be some really cool critters. Yeah, we're we're really excited to have a go at them. Awesome. Well, I think that that's a good way to leave us, man. I uh, I just can't wait to for you guys to get back and hear more about it. So good luck in the meantime, obviously if uh, offline, if you think of anything for us before the trip, feel free to reach out direct, but otherwise, thanks for joining us today and we're excited to do the after the hunt story. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Well, that is a wrap on this one for now. I am excited to get these guys back on the podcast and hear all about their experience If you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode and any other future episodes, be sure to hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive those future episodes automatically. And once again, if you have anything for us, feel free to reach out, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and we'll talk to you soon.